Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series. My name is Stuart Wright and regular listeners will know I've been the host of Britflix podcast since 2013. For new listeners who came in for the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 content, I've been a resident of Leighton for over 20 years and I'm proud to be part of a film festival happening right on my doorstep in East London, UK. Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 is a free four-day film festival and really has something for everyone of all ages who can make it to the birthplace of one of cinema's greats, Alfred Hitchcock. It runs from Wednesday 15th September to Sunday 19th September in outdoor and indoor venues along the Leightonstone High Road and across town. There'll be open-air film screenings in Langthorne Park and indoor events in Leightonstone Library, St John's Church, Phillybrook, Heathcote and Star, Nexus Centre, online and more. As well as films, there'll be talks, installations, trails and workshops. The Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series will be 10 podcasts in total. Nine are released on Friday, 3rd of September. Each of those podcasts feature three or four preview interviews with the filmmakers and or film organisations taking part in the four-day event. A 10th podcast will be released late September look back on highlights from Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021. The show notes include the names of the guests and organisations featured in this episode, links to the main Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 website, as well as links to specific parts of the programme that feature in this episode. That includes the what, the where and the when. It just needs me to say, on with the interviews and enjoy this episode of the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series. Who are you and what do you represent? Uh, my name's Jake Green and I'm a visual artist, filmmaker, photographer, predominantly photographer based in East London. And I represent a kind of honest and observational photography. What does Leighton Stone Loves Film mean to you? Uh, Leighton Stone Loves Film, I think, is an amazing collaboration between a community I've grown up in and the Barbican, an institution I've grown up with. So I'm born and raised in London. And I've always been a fan of the Barbican mm. and it's just creeping towards where I've grown up. And it's really great to work with them and collaborate with them and see them light up the streets with film, you know, and celebrate the film from my area. Yeah, it wasn't until Leighton Stoneland's film that I realised Barbican sort of did the outreach kind of work as opposed to you go to the Barbican to experience culture. Yeah, well, the first time I experienced the Barbican outside of the Barbican was when they did a celebration of Hitchcock in Waltham Forest. Oh. I can't remember what year it was. They did an amazing screening of the birds in the Vestry House Museum. They showed the ver- vertigo at St. Patrick's, I think St. Patrick's Church in, or St. Catherine's Church in, just up the road in Leightonstone. And it was, this, the quality of the production was so on point. It was an amazing thing. And I did, they did a scored film of blackmail in Walthamstow Assembly Hall. It's a silent film, but they scored it and they had a live um, orchestra playing alongside it. And I thought, you know what, the way they've come in and collaborated with local spaces is just exceptional. And it's just amazing that they did that. 
And what are you going to be contributing to Leighton Stone Love's film? So it's kind of a, a two, a multifaceted contribution because I've got, I make short films, non-commercial personal short films. So there's going to be a couple of my short films in there. And I've got a collaboration with a friend who lives locally, D Wood. And we're putting together a film trail. So it's called Short Circuit. Mm-hmm. And it's little films, independent short films, but not shown on a big screen, shown in like little pockets. So we're going to have one in a shop somewhere, hopefully in the, what is it? The key cutters at the station. We're talking to lots of different people, Argos, in the window of Argos, like a little screen where you can go along, plug in your headphones or listen to it at, throughout the Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So it's a selection of short films. Where, where did that idea come from? So I got in contact with the Barbican. Well, they got in contact with me because someone introduced them as that I'd already shown some short films in the area previously. And also I run the yard sale in Bushwood. So there's this idea that there's a map of stalls in this yard sale, kind of like a jumble, jumble trail, but our own version. And they were like, well, why don't you combine the films and the map element? So it's this idea that you can have the big screenings and it's loads of people all in one place, or you can break it down and spread it out throughout the community and make it a bit more discoverable, you know? So it kind of just makes it a little bit less exclusive and a bit more spontaneous. And at, at first, the first idea was to have people contribute films and show them in their houses. And we were going to have, you could just pop in someone's front room. If it's on the map, it's on the map. And then we'd have a couple of bigger venues with films being shown. But we've stripped it back and we've got about, I think, five or six or seven short films. And once you see one, you'll scan a QR code and you'll get a map and you'll be able to follow all the others. And it won't be anything longer than five or seven minutes, five to ten minutes. So it just makes it kind of a bit more hidden in a way. And how did you say the collabor- your collaborator is D Wood? How did you, how are you two come together? Yeah. So we live basically on the same road, not quite the same road, but around, like very near each other. She puts on events called Hitchcock's Home, like big proper screenings in St. John's Church of like Hitchcock films, really decent events, well-run events. And so, and I think, so she was one of the first people to screen one of my short films in the area in advance of showing a Hitchcock main feature. So she knew I made short films and then we just, so we just work on it together really. Like we pick the films, we pick the locations and the idea is you could do short circuit, Leighton Stone, short circuit, London, short circuit at the Barbican. You know, this idea of a little film trail. It's quite a nice way to explore an area without going shopping or going to cafes or buying food. You know, it's just a nice way to just explore the geography of an area, I think. Yeah, I did. I did. Funny enough, I did a similar thing in Harwich. It wasn't film, but it was just, there was just nodal points in Harwich mm. that then pointed to little points of history. But you just followed, there's like seven different points. but. Yeah, you weren't necessarily going for a walk, but once you start, it's like a twenty-minute trail. But you've seen the whole of the whole of the seafront, for example, by by the end. Of yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I just think it's I've I've seen things like that. Even outside Baker Street Station, there's the statue of Sherlock Holmes, and you scan a QR code, and you hear like a voice that's pretending to be Sherlock Holmes talking. So it's almost like you're talking to this statue. I just think these interactive is kind of eking towards immersive theatre, you know, where you're becoming part of it and it's getting a bit more interesting. So I think, I like the idea that there are some of the films hopefully will be visible at two o'clock in the morning in Leightonstone, a time when the whole town changes, you know, 
depending on the film, that could be really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a really nice idea that someone's going to happen across one of the films in your in your exhibition that <laughs> when everyone else is asleep. Sometimes you want to go to the cinema and cheer along and sing along. And uh, we used to watch Kung Fu films. There was a, I don't know if you ever saw it, it was like a kind of a squat. Before it was a pop-up, it used to be called a squat. And they used to show films in King's Cross, Kung Fu films. Right. Like, and it was all night, back-to-back Kung Fu films. And you'd be cheering along, you know, with the main protagonist. And sometimes I think it's quite nice to watch a film on your own, in your own space, without anyone else sitting next to you. Mm. And I think this is the great thing. You could do this whole film trail with a friend. You know, you could meet your friend at one of them and do the, re- the whole trail together. And then, you know, you might decide you want to do the whole trail on your own, in your own space, like in a sort of meditative, contemplative way. In a meditative, contemplative way. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> what aspects of specific event outside of your own are you most looking forward to at Langston Love's film? I think, well, there's a lot going on. Um, but one of them, have you seen Liza the Fletcher's piece that she's been working on? Which no. is, it's a document of Avenue Road Estate. Okay. And she's been doing loads of workshops with schools and different community centres. And it's just this idea that they've got this massive tower block and estate over on Avenue Road. And, I don't know if you know it. You know Downsall Road, Downsall School? It's just off the high road. Sort of like very close to Langthorne Park, which is kind of a hub for Langston Love's film this year. Mm. And we're going to have some, a couple of films from the sh- from the short circuit around that way. Mm. And it's this idea that you walk past the estate, but you don't necessarily get to know the history of it. You know, it's kind of, in, in the world of gentrification, an estate is a bit of an eyesore. Mm. But she's gone deep in there and she's doing like, Avenue Road Estate Memories and a documentary about the whole estate. And I can't wait to see that. I think it's going to be amazing. Now, I know you've, you've, your particular experience is it could be solo or shared, but can you, and, but, and you've also hinted at some of the fun you've had watching Kung Fu movies in, in King's Cross. So what is it about film as a shared experience that you think works so well? I actually prefer to watch films on my own, Shirt. Do you? To be fair, yeah, I just, I just think... I get distracted by other people around me. When we were doing a film club here, I'd always, like, we, we just did a few short screenings and stuff. And it was once everyone had gone, I might put on a film myself and just watch like, one long film without having to think about anyone else or anyone around me. It's like, I watch films in the same way I like to go to exhibitions. I like to wander around that gallery on my own. I don't want to think about anyone else, to be fair. I'm the opposite. I I I I lose my attention span when I'm on my own more so than if I'm in a, in a screening. Interesting, interesting. It's almost like the peer the, the natural peer pressure of what we've committed to do. I don't mean that you know it's not like a, like a sort of a fascistic thing or anything, but just like this idea that we've all sat down, subconsciously agreed that we are watching a film, so therefore that's what we'll do. Whereas if I'm sat on my own at home. I can check my phone if I want. I'm only disturbing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can pause it. You can pop, go make a cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there is definitely this great ritual of being in a space. It's the the, the cinema, the, the picture house, is kind of like a shrine to films, isn't it? So mm. you go there and it's ritualistic and the lights, you see your trailers and you see the little intros and then the lights go down and you know the, the main 
spectacle is about to start. Something special about that that you definitely never get quite so much on your own. When you've got a full theatre, mm. is this anticipation. Do you remember, um, what was it? There was a thing a while back where you'd buy a ticket for a film, but you didn't know what it was. Do you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. What was that called? I can't remember, but yeah, there was a there was a couple. The cinema chain did it, didn't they? Where you could just where you were basically going to see a film that wasn't released yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were kind of gonna. You knew what was coming, so there was kind of a. Are you going to see the latest? I don't know, Mission Impossible, or are you going to see the latest Pirates of the Caribbean, or are you going to get something that's come out of Sundance or something that hasn't been seen anywhere yet? I like that. I think and Hitchcock's got a lot. You know, a lot to be said. Like Hitchcock had a big influence on the ritual of viewing films, you know, and the idea that they used to just be back to back, one after the other screenings, and you're walking halfway through a screening and then watch it to the end and then start watching it again. And he was the one that, as far as I know, that orchestrated this idea that you're there, you see a trailer, and then the film starts once everyone's ready. Oh, wow. It's controlled viewing experience, which is cool. It builds the anticipation. I must admit, I, until I moved to Leighton, which is nearly 20 years now, I had no idea of Hitchcock's relationship to East London. And I'd lived in Mile End before then. Wow, wow, wow. And it's sort of weird to think to move two tube stops and then you realise this is where one of the births of British cinema happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mental. It's funny, growing up, uh, I kind of always knew about it because a friend of mine, it was something like his great uncle was Hitchcock or something like that. Yeah. Like, there was some weird family link there. So we always knew that there was this local connection. I mean, but but in, in more recent times, I mean, I grew up in North Manchester in a small town called Radcliffe, which I found out in my late 30s is where Danny Boyle's from. But in the in the in the mid-90s, when he was at his peak, I had no idea he was from my town. I'd have been oh, I'd have been even more elated to know that yeah, 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 yeah. someone from a place as insignificant as Radcliffe had given birth to, to someone as great as Danny Boyle. Well, I think that, you know, more needs to be done to celebrate that and inspire the next generation. Mm. It just goes to show you, it doesn't matter where you, I mean, growing up in Leightonstone, it was the edge of the world. Mm. As in, as far as London's concerned, you know, it wasn't the, it wasn't like city centre, it wasn't very metropolitan, it wasn't very metropolitan mm. or anything like that. So you'd have to leave the area to go and create. And I think that's what Hitchcock did. And if you know that, if you know that like some of the all-time greats have come from your area, with a similar starting point, it can really inspire people, I think. Indeed. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your thoughts on the Britflix podcast. Thank you, sure. You are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series. Leighton Stone Loves Film returns for a third year from the 15th to the 19th of September 2021. Across four days, Leighton Stone in East London will be host to a variety of free events brought to you by local filmmakers and film organisations. Let's get back to the interviews. Who are you and who and what do you represent? I'm John Rogers and I represent the Leighton Stone Pop-Up Cinema, which was founded by the Leighton Stone Film Club. And what is that? The Leighton Stone Film Club was uh, originally founded in 2008 to bring cinema back to the borough, because at that point there was no cinema in Walton Forest. It was the only borough in London that didn't have a cinema. And we thought, how can the birthplace of Alfred Hitchcock not have a place to screen films? So our remit really was to show the best of 
hard to see cinema if you lived in this part of London, really. So quality independent cinema with a focus on foreign language films. What's been one of your uh, your favourite screenings you've had on? Well, the, the Latin Stone Festival screenings have been some of the favourites where we've put together programmes. So we did a fantastic programme, uh, actually in 2007, which was, wasn't really the film club at that point, but it's the, the screening we put together to that gave the idea of doing the film club. Okay. And that was uh, with uh, John Smith, the great John Smith, Leighton Stone filmmaker John Smith, Ian Bourne, and then we did uh, the the um, the Bob Stanley, St Etienne, uh, Paul Kelly film, What Have You Done Today, Mervyn Day, which mm. we reprised a similar programme to that, actually, with, with some of that last year for Leighton Stone Love's film. We showed What Have You Done Today, Mervyn Day, with a programme of Ian uh, Bourne. Uh, we showed Ian Bourne's Lenny's documentary, very hard to see film, a bit of a classic of video art and uh, the anarchist rabbi by adam kossoff that was a fantastic screening we we um you know we had a we we did the very first uh Lainstone film club screening sorry sorry that's not that's, that's wrong actually that first screening that was done in 2007 mm. as part of the Lainstone festival i mean the queue out the door of the heathcote it was upstairs at the heathcote and the queue went down the stairs and out the door it was incredible that's when we knew okay there's an appetite for this and uh Philip Ray, who ran the Lightstone Festival, then he he came up with the idea of us doing it on a regular basis. So that the following year, two thousand and eight, for the Lightstone Festival, we did yeah. a screening of the Lodger with live piano accompaniment oh, in wow. the library, and that was really our, our first screening. We carried on, we carried on from then. We've been running ever ever since, doing monthly screenings in Lightstone Library. We've had some amazing nights. We had we had a screening of Man on Wire very early on. Uh, with the producer came and introduced Man on Wire, which was great. Fantastic. Um, we, had, we had some great Q and A's. We had a great Q and A with uh, Ian Sinclair uh, after my the screening of my film London Overground, and Ian came over and did a Q and A. Um, we've had some really really wonderful nights. We had a great screening of um, Tales from Tim Pan Alley, which documentary about well about Tim Pan Alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was great. You know, uh, we showed um, Persepolis, one of our first screenings. That was sold out, completely full in the library for a screening of Persepolis. The Conformist as well is a favourite film of mine, and that was uh, that was a great screening. Too many to mention, really, Stu. I mean, well, I think I think you've I think you've wet our appetite for certain there, John. Uh, so, what does uh, Leighton Stone Love's film mean to you? Leighton Stone Love's film for me is uh, is our film festival. It's Leighton Stone's film festival. I mean, Leighton Stone is a great area for film and for cinema. It's got a great heritage. And so it's been crying out for a festival for for quite a while. And so it's brilliant that the Barbican have actually made that a reality. Mm. And what will you be contributing to Leightonstone Love's film this year? So the Leightonstone Pop-Up Cinema, which was what the Leightonstone Film Club decided to change its name, I don't know how many years ago, about seven years ago, to the Leightonstone Pop-Up Cinema. Yeah. And we're screening um, the fantastic Sparrows Can't Sing. What's Sparrows Can't Sing about? Sparrows Can't Sing is a 1963 East End classic. It's a, it's a drama that was devised at the, at the Stratford Theatre Royal um, in Joan Littlewood's Theatre Workshop. You know, and I'm sure you know all about that, you know, with the idea of getting local kids, local people involved in theatre, about you know, working class people and local people who might not otherwise think theatre was for them to come and take part. Very democratic very egalitarian kind of um, environment. And out of one of those workshops, uh, a guy called Stephen Lewis 
known to most of the, I'm sure the audience of your podcast is Blakey from On the Buses, helped devise and write this story called Sparrows Can't Sting. And it's it's a bit of, a, I mean, there is a kind of loose plot and it's this sailor who comes home from a, a long voyage in the early 60s to find, you know, the, the, the streets where he, the terraced house where he lived with his wife in East London gone. And it's the building of the new tower blocks. So it's set in that kind of fantastic moment of post-war London in the uh, early 60s when, you know, you still have bomb sites in London. Uh, particularly around the East End, particularly around the docks, bearing in mind some of this was shot around sort of Limehouse, Poplar, Stratford, Stepney, so a lot of bomb sites. But also you had urban planners then clearing away what the Luftwaffe had missed and getting rid of a lot of the old street plan of London and building the big tower blocks, the big council blocks. So it kind of captures that moment. There's this guy looking for his wife, right? He comes back from sea, he's looking for his wife. So that shows him going around the areas, trying to find his wife. She's living with a with new guy in one of these tower blocks. And it's, you know, it's a bit of a yarn, really, but it's just got a massive, huge ensemble cast. You know, Barbara Windsor is in it. It's got uh, Roy Kinnear in it. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, James Booth. Uh, it's Queenie Watts is in it in her pub, although actually it's not actually. the It's the interior. They rebuilt the interior in its studio. Um, I think the interior of that pub was used in Alfie, a scene in Alfie, I believe. Um, and so there's all sorts of people. Jerry Raffles is in it as a driver, and I'm sure you know Stratford Theatre Royal is Jerry Raffles Square. I don't know who Jerry Raffles was. Um, you'll recognise a lot of the faces in it. They're kind of it's it really is a who's who of that kind of 50s, 60s, 70s British cinema kind of classic actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is that is that, is that a particularly hard film to sort of secure for screenings, or is it is it is it easily readily available? It's funny. Uh, no, it's not that difficult, really. I mean, if you, as long as you want to screen it on Blu-ray, mm. it's fine. I don't know what it would be like to get a print of it. Right. Okay. Uh, the BFI don't have it, um, but we can get a DVD of it. So that's all a, a Blu-ray, and the license is easy enough done. Um, it's it's part of a kind of uh, I don't know what to say. I was going to say tradition, but it's certainly part of a kind of canon, if you like, mm. of films set in post-war London that really capture those moments. And we've tried to show a few of them over the past, like we showed Bronco Bullfrog at Leytonstone Loves Film last year, actually. Mm. And we'd previously also screened that in the Leytonstone Festival. And that's another film which shows the old Stratford. A lot of that was shot around Stratford. So you see the old street plan of Stratford there. And we also um, screened Deep End in Leytonstone Festival one year as well. And, you know, some of the scenes for that were shot at the old Cathal Swimming Baths. Oh, wow. You know, some of it was shot in Munich, but a really beautiful, stylish film. And again, the character there goes out and he's, you see the old cattle baths, but the character goes out riding on his bike around the streets. And again, that's an old street plan mm. between here and, and the new Stratford, you know, mega city Stratford. The film is about that realisation that where you were from is being just, being just wiped away. But equally, as us watching it in the 21st century, it's it's a window into an East London that was in its point of when it was changed. I mean, I used to live just by Mile End Tube on the Mile End Road. And whichever, if you were on the side I was on, was was a town planner's sort of nightmare vision of what housing should be like. Whereas on the other side of the road was where the old terraced housing had stayed. You're sort of treading a square type of places. And I was on the other side of the road. 
It looked more like like a prisoner of war camp or something where where we were, you know, the horrible little windows and all kinds of concrete and stuff. It wasn't it wasn't like it was built for people. Exactly, and it 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 really captures that moment in time. And it's what's amazing for us is we, you know, we look back at it, don't we, and we wonder what it would have been like for people. And it's often depicted in a way. And actually, you get a bit of this in Sparrows Can't Sing, where people were like, "Oh, we've got an inside bathroom," you know. Mm. We, you know, we can romanticise that that those old houses because we see them sort of done up now, but we sort of forget actually a lot of them didn't have indoor toilets. They didn't have some of them didn't have hot water. Um, so not everyone was unhappy to see that change. But like I say that it's reflected in this film. It's a great, it's a great kind of slice of East End culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Captured at a really pivotal moment. I've just recently done uh, a podcast with the author of the book Getting Carter, which is a, oh, yeah. a, sort of a, a, a biography about Ted Lewis, who wrote the book that became Get Carter. But we, but we did f- five great British films that sort of track the cinematic history from World War Two to Get Carter. You know, like what laid the path. And watching it myself, it is like what those those films from that era. It is like a history lesson on what on what it was like, even though it was it's a drama. But just where the camera's pointing, it's hard not to go. Oh my god, look how much Soho's changed. You get it with you get it with lots of different. It's like Passport to Pimlico is a is like is a history lesson as well, isn't it? And um, we've screened um, quite a lot of kind of Italian neorealist films at the at the, at the pop up cinema, and particularly if you if you look at the Dolce Vita, you know that's Rome. With a particular moment in time, a particular moment of transition where it's still recovering from the Second World War, a lot of poverty still, but then also this incredible glamour around the, the film studios there. And you had Hollywood stars, you know, it was a real magnet for Hollywood stars at that point in the 60s. So, uh, yeah, cinema can teach us an awful lot about the past. Get Carter itself, if you watch that now. It's sort of you look you look at the you look at the light of like because of all the industry that was going on at the time. It's just permanently grey. And also I think the way that films got made, you know, like um I can't remember this verbatim, but I do remember meeting Ted Lewis's agent and he told me a little bit about the way that a film was financed. It's not the way you finance films now. Well, maybe actually to a degree it is the way some films are financed now. Uh there is a kind of uh a, a, a mini industry in London, which has its financing from uh, un, well, not unconventional sources. Maybe nothing's changed. Rich people who get bored uh, in the area where they've made their money suddenly want to become film producers. And if you've got enough money, you can do it, right? What what aspect of Leighton Stoneland's film are you looking forward to? I mean, you don't have to you don't have to be sort of thinking of a specific thing that's going on, but just as a, as a punter at the at the festival, what do you look forward to? I look forward to the. Um, just the variety of stuff that's going on um, because it's not just stuff like we're doing. You know, the, the, what the pop-up cinema does is quite conventional. You know, we show feature films in a library. So you come into the library where there's a screen and a projector mm. and everyone sits in rows of seats and watches a film. It's a cinema, essentially. And the barber can do an amazing job of creating that kind of cinema environment in the library, actually. They can create a lovely set and, you know, really create an experience. Um, but I remember from from last year, it was no, sorry, the year before last, there was so much going on, so many different things going on. Um, and you're seeing cinema in environments you wouldn't normally see them in. 
Last year, we did our screening in uh, Henry Reynolds Gardens, which was fantastic. Oh, wow. You know. Um, so it's the variety of different screening environments I look forward to. It's almost like the lack of a cinema has meant Lengs on Love's film has become sort of creative with the idea of where you show a film. Yeah, and, you know, since, like I say, since the first screening that, that I was involved in here, which was 2007, you know, you there's always been film going on in Lengstone mm. at some point. I mean, I wouldn't say all, not always in the sense of every week or every month, mm. but there were, there were things going on, you know, people that had gone out and got funding and then they would do some screenings in the in St. John's Church Hall. You know, um, somebody might do something in a pub or some people would do them in their, in a room in their house. The, the 491 gallery sadly no longer there and now a block of flats. They used to hold regular yeah, films. Yeah, they did, yeah. Vertigo yeah. Cinema, right? So it, it's people have always found a way of showing films in the area. So with your experience of the Pop-Up Film Club, what is it about film and the shared experience of watching it with people you know and complete strangers that makes it work so well? What is it about film? Um, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if there's anything unique to film in that sense, actually. I think because um, people enjoy going to what, watch music live. People love going to art galleries to experience art in that way. Um, so, I, you know, I think there's a, people love going to the theatre, although theatre is pretty unique to that space. But you can look at art in a book. You can listen to music at home. Um, but we do like to experience culture collectively. We still like to come together. I think what people like from the film club is that possibility of, you know, we'll, we'll do an introduction to the film. So we'll tell people we've selected that film. We put some thought into why we think you'll enjoy watching it, why it deserves to be shown in a public space, why we as volunteers have put our time into coming out to put on this screening for people, whoever turns up. So I think having that experience, that sort of personally curated aspect to it, I think is really, I think people really appreciate that. And then the ability to kind of hang around and have a chat afterwards. On many occasions, we've ended up all going over to the red line where people want to talk more about the film. And, you know, we've had things like with the Tim Pan Alley Tales, we, you know, we had the, the producer director, Henry Scott Irving, and then we had a brilliant, um, what's his name? Oh, this is terrible. Uh, Jimmy, I can't remember his name actually, but the wonderful guy from The Faces. Who, is, who contributed to that film. He's not, sadly no longer with us. And he came to the screening and he was hanging around afterwards and it was like a personal Q&A with him. So that's the kind of thing that you, you don't get from just watching a Blu-ray at home. And um, yeah, I think people always want to go and watch films in a collective space. I think sometimes for me, it's just simply that idea of committed to watch a film. Whereas at home, yeah, there's a chance to just get up and stop watching because you can literally stop it if you want yeah and i think you know for me um i worked at the national film theater for a few years and that's a very in particular experience of film on a number of levels when i worked there there was no food or drink allowed inside the auditorium oh wow which which i'm disgusted to, to learn that they've relaxed those rules <laughs> so it was quiet you know and the idea was when you come in you will do one thing only you will watch a film and I, I do remember there one of the house managers saying, if you want to eat, go to... Actually, it wasn't one of the house managers. I remember one of the senior managers there at the National Film Theatre saying to somebody who complained, if you want to eat, go to a restaurant. You come here to watch a film. And I completely agree with that. I think... That, and there, the programme was incredibly carefully curated, at, at, you know, at great expense. And the trouble they went to to source the best prints to show people 
And so I like the idea that some sometimes the best cinema isn't always that easy to watch. You know, it's going to challenge you a little bit. You may feel a little bit uncomfortable, you know, um, but you're going to have an experience. You know, you're going to be, because someone's chosen something for you specifically, so you will have an experience. Mm. And sometimes I think some of the most rewarding experiences for me doing the the, the film club have been showing films that people you know, wouldn't have otherwise seen types of films that they might go, oh, what's this? And then they've come out of it and gone, thank you so much for bringing that to me. You know, like when we showed Andrew Cotting's Galavan, which has been a massively important film for me and massive inspiration. You know, that's not a film that anyone that had come that night had really heard of or and they hadn't seen a film like that. It's quite an unusual kind of film. Likewise with Patrick Keeler's London as well. Again, a quite an unusual film. And when we showed the full-length uh, animations like Persepolis, and we've had a few others as well that have been, you know, foreign language, animated, feature-length. We've shown uh, films from parts of the world that people wouldn't have seen films from in languages they wouldn't have seen on film before. Um, that's why it's quite important for us to have that emphasis on on foreign language films because you, you can't go and see you won't see those at Stratford anywhere you yeah. won't see them in Wolverhampton anywhere and now we've got cinemas nearby they won't show foreign language films it'll be a very rare thing for them to show foreign yeah, language yeah, films yeah, yeah. you can really go out of your way to go into the West End to seek this stuff out so having that every month uh, bringing that to people so they don't have to invest in going to see a nine o'clock film in a tiny screen at the ICA it's been quite important, I think. Well, more, more power to your projector. How can uh, people find Pop-Up Film Club outside of Lainstoneless Film? If you just Google Lainstone Film Club, it's lainstonefilmclub.com. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the podcast. Thanks, Stu. Thanks for thanks for what you do. And I look forward to listening to your series of podcasts about Lainstone Loves Film. You are listening to the Lainstone Loves Film podcast series. Leighton Stone Loves Film returns for a third year from the 15th to the 19th of September 2021. Across four days, Leighton Stone in East London will be host to a variety of free events brought to you by local filmmakers and film organisations. Let's get back to the interviews. Who are you and who or what do you represent? My name is Nula O'Sullivan and I'm the founder and director of the Women Over 50 Film Festival, which is a short film festival which celebrates all the fantastic work that older women do in front of and behind the camera. We're the Women Over 50 Film Festival and we call ourselves WAF. You do indeed. Now, how, how did that all begin? Um, well, I used to be a writer and producer. I worked for many years uh, as a writer and producer for the BBC World Service and also for radio and um, theatre. Mm -hmm. And about six or seven years ago, I wrote and produced a, my first and only uh, short film. Uh, I was in my 50s at the time, and it was a story of an older woman looking back on her life and marriage. And part of my job as a producer was to try and get the, the film into short film festivals. So I started attending short film festivals with my producer hat on. I mean, mm. I had gone to film festivals uh, for many years before, more as an audience member. And what I found uh, when I started analysing short film festivals was actually there wasn't really very much representation of women like me, older women, on screen. Um, 
And also in the bar afterwards, something quite strange and upsetting actually happened. And it was, I found that people just weren't really talking to me. Um, and you can hear and you know me, you know, I'm not backwards about coming <laughs> forwards. I'm not scared of talking to strangers. You know, I'm quite happy to give you my opinion on anything I've seen or read or heard. Yeah. Um, so it was really strange to not be engaged in any conversations. And I could actually track people's eye movements and I saw them scan the room. I saw their eyes go up and over my head and round the rest of the room. And it was a really um, difficult uh, feeling to, it's a difficult feeling to be in the room and it was difficult afterwards to to properly analyze. It didn't come to me suddenly. Hmm. It was feelings of not belonging, of being lonely, of not fitting in and also that kind of shame in feeling like you're trying to push yourself in somewhere you don't belong, particularly for women. Mm. We find that a lot find that quite hard. Um, you know, uh, so it was, there were all kinds of feelings and it took me really quite a while to unpick it and figure out. And of course it was what so many older women feel. It was the invisibility of the middle-aged women. Right. And I grew I grew up in a kind of feminism that was about if you talk about something painful or difficult and you think it only happens to you, yeah. you know what? When you say it out loud, somebody else might say, Do you know what? Me too. That that happened to me. Let's talk about it. And that's things like um, you know, having miscarriages or any kind of harassment or um, you know, in relationships, these you know, in work and in life, uh, you know, all these kind of difficult things. Actually, uh, women raised their own consciousness and raised other people's consciousness, and that's exactly what I found in this situation. People said, "Oh, yeah, do you know what? We're not seeing older women on the telly or on the screen, and we don't hear that there are older women who are making films, and they must be. I mean, why would you suddenly think that women stop being creative if they've been creative all their life up until forty-five? or 50 then suddenly they drop off a cliff um so I just thought well do you know what I'm not having it I'm going to set up a film festival where everyone's welcome as long as older women are somehow at the core of it so the rule that we came up with more than seven years ago which is the rule we still live by okay. is if you want to get a film into off it has to have an older woman at the heart of it on screen or a woman over 50 as the writer, producer or director. Now, how is that a really welcoming festival? Well, you, Stuart, could make a documentary about a 52-year-old woman mm. and you and that film and her would all be welcome at WAF. And to us, that is how change happens. If we have younger people, if we have non-binary people, if we have older men in the room talking with and about and two older women, mm. that's how our invisibility becomes, that's how we become visible and things change. Got you. No, it's quite a powerful statement. <clears throat> so you, is this your, this isn't your first Light and Stone Lords film, is it? This is not my first go at the rodeo. <laughs> Absolutely not at so, Light and Stone Film Festival or anything else, Stuart. What does Light and Stone Lords film mean to you? So... Part of the thing that we do at WAF, we have industry judges from all the different categories of our films, and the categories are animation, drama, documentary, and experimental. Mm. Um, so we end up with about 
we, we screen about 50 films at the festival and about 20 of them get prizes. And those 20 films then become the basis of a tour that goes all around the country and to Ireland. Um, we, we, we call it the best of the fest. Yeah. So at Leightonstone Loves Film, we bring the best of the fest oh, wow. to the people of, of Leightonstone. Uh, so you see the, the award-winning films um, of that year's Women Over 50 Film Festival. And, and can you tell us any, any particular films we can be looking forward to this year? Sure, because um, our festival, our the, the WAF Festival happens very close to Leightonstone Loves Film. Okay. So our dates this year are the 25th of September to the 3rd of October. So uh, the films that we show at Leightonstone Loves Film Festival are from the, the previous year's festivals. So we know who all the winners are for last year. Yeah. So we've got films like... Um, the Witch and the Baby, which is a, a Russian animation. And it's about this ugly old crone of a woman who wants the secret of eternal beauty. And all she has to do is mix some potions and motions and all kinds of things. And she just needs a baby. If she could just get a baby and get it into that pot, she'd be laughing. And she steals a princess. And you'll never guess what happens next. So that's one, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, we've got a film. We've got a film called Champ Five, which is a documentary about the amazing Rita Willey, and she ha was a cannery worker for thirty-eight years. And if you've ever wondered how sardines get packed into a can right. when it's done by hand, then Rita will show you how. She spent thirty-eight years. And in the film, you see her with this motion where she says, I cut the heads, I cut the tails. I cut the heads, I cut the tails. That is what she did for 38 years. Mm -hmm. And she was absolutely amazing. Um, we have um, a film like Porcelain, which is in some ways a very simple film. Mm. It's a dance film. It's a man and a woman, an older man and woman, there are some teacups, there are some saucers, and they move these cups and saucers and themselves and each other around a room. And it's absolutely beautiful. And then when you know that actually um, the woman in this couple is living with dementia and the man in this couple, they're a couple in real life and they always enjoy dancing. And actually they rehearsed the movements in this film and each day when they came back to the rehearsal she knew that they had rehearsed but she didn't remember the moves and yet this absolutely beautiful dance unfolds wow. and you just see what you see in the film is the care that it happens between the both of them yeah. and the love between them and it's absolutely gorgeous um, so I'd say we've got like a real a absolute smorgasbord um, of films and the very exciting other thing that we have is that we're working with some filmmakers um, who had a film in Wath a few years ago, yeah. and they also live in the area. And they are going to do a fantastic activity um, where they are going to work with the audience, either in real life or online. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do an, a movement activity in relation to some of the films, maybe one like Porcelain I mentioned, or even cut the heads, cut the tails, cut the heads, cut the tails. <laughs> uh, they will take one particular movement from one of the films, and then they will help with the audience. We will develop a really beautiful movement activity in response to these films. 
And specifically, the movements will be ones that can be done if you want to sit or if you want to stand, so that it's very accessible to everyone, whatever your age, absolutely no dancing ability required. Even I can do the, the movement. Um, but it's one of the it's a it's a collaborative uh, activity between the audience and Quebec films uh, who are doing the dance activity, the movement activity afterwards. Sounds brilliant. Outside of the work you're, you're directly involved with, what aspects or specific event are you looking forward to at Leighton Stoneless Film? One of the things I love is um, when, you, when you can see the kind of um, non-film activity, non like sitting watching film activities that happen at Leighton Stoneless Film. I remember a couple of years ago, there was this, gorgeous activity where we got to um it was like a old cine film eight millimeter maybe 16 millimeter and with a pen you made a design on it and it made it into a loop which you which was shown on a little projector there and it was just it was so fantastic to um it was a real kind of mixed media um and it was it was it was it was short it was fun it was collaborative um and it just um it just it it made you touch film which is something actually in the digital world we're just not really doing anymore so it was nice to really connect um to to that medium i thought so i like the i like the the practical community um activities as well of course as watching all the films why what is it do you think about the shared experience of watching a film with with strangers? I think at its absolute core it brings us back to when we were around a fire telling stories. I think there's something really magical about the power of a story that particularly a story that is so individual and then becomes absolutely universal. You know that I love that feeling where people go. Oh, you hear that kind of collective intake of breath, or a laugh, or a sob, or a shout, and it's it's so it connects you to everyone in the room. Um, so I just I mean I absolutely and I think um, being in this COVID time where we're all trying to watch stuff online. Um, you know, my computer's great, my telly's great, and I know I'm very privileged to have all these things. But it's just not the same as a big old screen and that comfy seat that you can just like wiggle down into and be with other people in the dark and you're just totally enveloped by it. The sound and the sight and the smells, frankly, with the popcorn and everything else. Thinking about your um, about what WAF do throughout the, throughout the year and stuff, how, how can people find out what's happening or where can people find out what's happening and how can people submit films to future WAF events? So we're on all the usual social media channels. We're on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we're usually at WO50FF. That's mm. WO50FF. Um, we're, we uh, accept submissions on the platform Film Freeway. So you just go to Film Freeway and search for Women Over 50 Film Festival. Um, we've got a website, woffff.co.uk, so that's woff.co.uk, and you can keep up to date with all our news there. You can sign up to our newsletter. Um, one thing that we're always looking for at WAF, um, we like to have volunteers that help us at our festival when we're in the real world. Mm -hmm. um, last year we were we moved online. 
Um, our home cinema is actually in East Sussex, uh, a, a cinema called Depot in Lewis, a really beautiful, uh, uh, really green, uh, just fantastic cinema. Uh, we've been there for a number of years. Um, the plan for this year is to be mostly on. We're going to be a hybrid festival, so we'll be mostly online, yeah. and hopefully one day this Saturday, the 2nd of October, we're going to be in Depot in Lewis. Um, so we're looking, we're always looking for volunteers. Um, so you can contact us via our website. And we also, we have other opportunities, uh, you know, if you want to be a selector for our film, or you've got some great social media skills or graphic design skills, you know, get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Excellent, excellent. Well, look, I'll put links in the show notes to where people can find you. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. Lovely, lovely, to, lovely to talk to you and I hope to see you soon. That's it for this episode of Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series. If you've got time, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Leighton Stone Loves Film is produced by The Barbican in partnership with local residents and organisations and is commissioned by the London Borough of Waltham Forest, supported by Arts Council England. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover